0: Okay. Good to see you. Hello, everybody. My name's uh, Matt Davis. I'm one of the leaders here at Emmanuel, uh, where we have Bible teaching uh, every Sunday. Uh, The exciting thing uh, for me this morning is uh, that we're starting a new series. Uh, We are going to be diving into. The, the Bible book, the Gospel of Matthew, uh, for many, many weeks. And uh, it's going to take us uh, right the way through uh, the majority of this year. Uh, we're going to be chopping that up into uh, little bite-sized chunks. And this particular chunk uh, we've called the makings of an overthrow. Uh, what are we going to get out of being in Matthew uh, for such a long season for? Well, let me tell you two big things. The first payoff is that you will meet Jesus, you will meet him in all his technicolour, you will uh, find us uh, examining his commands, uh, unpacking uh, the meaning of his parables, gleaning uh, the wisdom. Uh, that he brings to everything that he says and the life that he uh, has led. The real Jesus will be very much front and center, and that's going to be superb for us because it's going to challenge you, whoever you are, uh, to draw conclusions about what uh, he says and who he is. And I trust that that will lead us to worship, the second payoff is that you 're going to learn a whole load uh, of information and stuff that you didn 't know about the Old Testament. Uh, lots of us are in this church are going through a Bible everyday plan, um, many of us diving into the Old testament, the new testament the psalms, and that 's doing us good uh, but what you 're going to see is the, the very special journey of god 's people finding their, prof- their prophetic fulfillment. Through and in Jesus. The very intention of Matthew's gospel uh, was to clearly show this particular people, the Jews, that Jesus was the fulfillment of the promises of the Old Testament. No other uh, book, Bible book, or gospel in our Bibles alludes so much to this particular point. Matthew, the writer, wanted to emphatically show that Jesus was the promised Messiah, the Christ the King, God's eternal one. So that's why this journey over the next few uh, months is going to be so rewarding for us. Um, it's been written that uh, Matthew, uh, the Gospel of Matthew is written by a Jew, to Jews, about a Jew. That's pretty snappy, isn't it? Presenting Jesus as the true, long-awaited Messiah and the fulfillment of the promises that come with him. Christ is King even in his death, seemingly defeated, this turns to victory in his resurrection. It's a thrilling journey, and we're going to dive in and unpack it together. We're actually going to be starting in uh, Matthew chapter 3. In this church, we've done Matthew 1 and 2 in uh, previous months, and uh, even touched on it uh, over the the Christmas uh, period. But uh, I want you to note, straight off the bat is that there's actually a 30-year gap between uh, Matthew chapter 2 and Matthew chapter 3. Uh, Jesus the baby in Matthew chapter 2 retreats to Nazareth uh, with his parents and then out of nowhere this extraordinary character John the Baptist pops up with his huge and important message. We're going to be looking at him really closely today. you ready for that? John the Baptist, who was he? What was he all about? I'm going to read uh, from the start of chapter 3, verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said... The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. ...to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit... ...is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I... ...whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand... ...and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Let's pray together. Lord, I want to thank you for an open Bible. I want to thank you for words uh, that we can uh, not just apply to time and context, uh, but to now, to today. Lord, and I want to ask God that uh, by your Spirit, you would help us to take them to heart. You would help us to respond in ways uh, which uh, mean that we're soft towards your voice. We pray, Lord, that uh, you would uh, change hearts and minds uh, today as we unpack this scripture together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So in the time that we've got, this journey that we're going to go on together just today, um, we're going to um, we're gonna do it this way. We're going to uh, consider the confrontation uh, that comes uh, from the words of John the Baptist, from this, uh, this scripture that we've got before us. And then we're going to have some, uh, some sober evaluation. There is some evaluation that goes on in this scripture, but we're going to see how uh, evaluation is an important part of how we read uh, what's before us. Uh, then we're going to bring a solution to a real need concluding with our response, okay? So we're going to do confrontation, evaluation, solution, and response. And uh, uh, part of our response, will be taking bread and wine uh, together with with song and prayer before we close. As prophet types go, uh, John scores very highly, doesn't he? A firebrand, one speaking the words of God to, to, to God's people. This guy kind of gives himself away by the clothes that he wore, uh, the, the food that he ate, the camel hair thing going on, uh, the locusts and the honey in the beard. Uh, this wild-eyed man, he, he, he clearly cared little about uh, the material things of life. Um, I'm sure I wouldn't have done it that way. Um, giving himself body and soul to the life-calling of being God's spokesman. Uh, cast your minds back to the nativity scriptures when uh, the unborn John meets the unborn Jesus. Uh, in Luke 1, uh, when these two uh, pregnant ladies meet each other, Elizabeth and Mary, uh, the, the, the John in, the, in his, in his uh, unborn state, his, uh, he, his, uh, his body leaps. And from that moment, there is, there's wonderment about who this child will become. And at the end of Luke 1, we read that John simply became strong in spirit and then he went to hang out in the wilderness for years, like you do. Is that what you do? We can overlook this, can't we? And uh, his, uh, his prophetically important role... Uh, largely because of his name. We associate his name with an action. He was John the Baptist. He was the guy that did the dunking in the, in the river, and uh, that was a, about it. But no, this, this, uh, this prophet, his words, his prophetic message of repentance was the key thing to lay hold of, more important than anything else that he did. So let's have a look at this message. Repent. Repentance is a change of mind, uh, or direction. It's a turning around. And he's saying, turn from your evil ways and turn to good. Turn to God. That's what he's saying. That's the point. Come back to God. Yes, by all means, throw off things that hinder you, sin, things that entangle. But turn to God with humility and dependence on him. Has that landed with you this morning? That's what repentance is. It's not just deciding to not do this thing that entangles anymore. No, it's to turn to him, turn to the one who can change you, the one uh, with whom dependence is found. Is that what you've done? Have you known the embrace of God in your life uh, through repentance and faith? It's vital that we know who we are turning to rather than just what we are turning to. From We can obsess with uh, our sin and our wrongdoing. Um, we, we can allow that to become an object of worship if we're not careful. But when we look to the one to whom we are turning, that's when life change occurs. Because it's he that changes us. He's the one that changes the stony heart to a heart of flesh. A heart that was ignorant and in rebellion and hard toward him to this heart that's beating and wants him and is dependent upon him don't mishear me it's vital that we recognize what those things are that are hindering as hebrews 12 says lay aside every weight and sin which clings but when we truly look to him we find that the solution is having the face of god shine on you through christ isn't that true Let's dive back to this message of John, this second bit. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, through uh, these months to come, we're going to be looking uh, in more detail at what is meant by the kingdom of heaven, his rule and his reign. But today, I just want to pick up on this, uh, this meaning of the, the phrase at hand, is at hand. He's saying it has come near, the kingdom of God has arrived. It's, it's up, club, up close and, and it's slapping you in the face. It, it's not coming or approaching or in the distance. It's here. That's why there's urgency uh, in his words. And, and this is how it was exactly understood by all the region around Jordan that were going out to see him. The at-hand message was so compelling to them for many to act on his urgent message. Why is that? Well, we need to remember that between uh, the Old and New Testament Testaments, there, there is a 400-year silence, seemingly nothing from God, seemingly no word. Uh, the last prophetic utterance comes from uh, Malachi, just two or three pages back in your Bible. If you've got a physical Bible or whatever you're looking at uh, on, your, uh, on your smartphone or whatever, just flick back briefly, you'll see chapter 4, Verse 5 says this Behold, I will send you Elijah before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. John, uh, this noisy, locust eating, belt wearing, camel haired dude, he is the marriage, mirror image of Elijah. If you uh, uh, just make a note, 2 Kings 1 8, have a look at that in your own time. He's got the same clobber, it's a startling parallel. So this silence has come to an end. This 400-year seemingly silence has come to a close. And John's life is bursting on the scene with a very rude and abrupt message. Just like Elijah, he's also a forerunner. Elijah appointed Elisha. And now John's role is to appoint another whom he describes as mightier than I. Forerunner John... Is preparing a way for the Lord. And it's important to understand that uh, this message uh, in its time was both a national deal and a personal one. Uh, For the nation, it had been silenced for so long, so this must have been incredible news. No wonder the region were coming out to him. The Messiah's coming. That was the understanding. Think of it like a um, uh, the preparing of a, of a motorcade for a royal visitor. I, I spent some time um, when I was younger in uh, in the city of Bangkok, and I can remember all the traffic coming to a halt and i 'm um, asking what 's going on what 's going on and uh, uh, The message came back to the back seat the king 's coming, and so all the traffic has to stop to allow uh, the king 's motorcade to swan through the city, going wherever he was going uh, back in the, the, the 90s, uh, the craziness of Bangkok. Uh, the traffic was insane. I'm, I've no idea what it's like now, but uh, but this these roads were prepared. They were pushed to one side so that the king could get through. In reality, for us, it's it's also a personal message. Think of it like this: if the king was coming to your home today. What would that mean for you and your home? Would you go around with the hoover? Would you tidy up your paperwork? Uh, Would you plump your pillows? Uh, Would you make sure you had choice coffee uh, in the uh, kitchen? What would you be doing in your own house to make sure that you were ready for the arrival of the king? You'd tidy your house, wouldn't you? You'd sort your life out quick. And in making path straight. John is consciously preparing a people for Jesus' arrival on the scene more than anything. He's saying, get yourselves in order. You turn to God. No more convenient deflecting responsibility onto others or other circumstances. This is about you. And we get extra clarity on this when the religious leaders turn up, the, the Pharisees and the, the Sadducees who uh, are not buddies, but between them they're controlling uh, the religious status quo of their day. And this guy is rocking things. They want to know what's going on. And when they arrive, John notices and uh, he's straight away, he's straight in their face. You snake children, you brood of vipers, children of the devil, blocking the way to the real kingdom of God. That's what you're doing. And even before they can respond, he says, Don't start saying, that you're badged up because your forefather is Abraham. No, the real children of God, as we read in Romans 4, says those that are sharing the faith and repentance of Abraham are children of God. You guys are just leaning on your own cleverness, uh, leaning on your heritage and your man-made rules. It's God who makes children of his. Even out of these stones, he can do that. And he doesn't stop there. There's more confronting language that comes. This guy who's coming after me, he's something else. I'm not even worthy to be a slave of his slave. He's coming to judge. Remember the power language in what we read? The axe is laid at the root. Can you picture that for a minute? What do we do when we're chopping something? We kind of get it ready. We kind of put the, the sharp edge of the axe where we want it to land. The axe is laid at the root. This is an, an uncompromising message. What an image. It's in the Bible for a reason for us to grasp the severity of it. In the uh, in my neighbor's garden, there are two enormous trees. And uh, I watched as um, a professional guy came in and took, took down some branches that were kind of overhanging my garden and uh, uh, possibly a bit dangerous, maybe dying a little bit, took them off, and um, I leaned over the fence and said, can I, can I have that wood? I've got a wood burner at home, and uh, my neighbor was like, of course, so these great logs came crashing over the fence, and uh, they, they were lying there for months, and I was staring at them thinking, I need to deal with these, uh, these dead bits of wood, and so in the summer, I chopped wood, I did, and uh, my dad bought me an axe with a very heavy head. And it was very sharp. And I had great fun splitting these logs really easily. The sharpness and the weight, they were, it was just designed for purpose. And of course, what was the wood being readied for? It was being readied for the fire. So we've, we've had a look at this confrontation that... Uh, came as a, a, as a shock to the people that heard John in his day. But also, we can take it in the right way too. We can find our own hearts confronted. You beginning to feel that today? Uh, perhaps our natural response is to recoil. But shouldn't the humble poise be evaluation? Sober evaluation? Are you ready to do some of that today? John's confrontation is about heart repentance. It shouldn't stay in the realm of external pressures. That's what we do, isn't it? We blame everything else around us in our lives. And, and even uh, in the time and context uh, that we read, uh, this region, they were oppressed by the Roman Empire, but they weren't the real enemy, no. No. And just like us, we, we need to evaluate John's confrontational message as personally applied. We'll say things like, my problem is my boss, that's my problem, that's why I'm like I am, that's why I'm this and that, and, or my landlord is just the pain of my life, so demanding, so miserly. Or perhaps you would say, my issue is my marriage, that's what's going on with me. Let me suggest that you're deflecting. That's not what I would call humble evaluation, is that what you would say? In our time and space, we are so used to dealing with confrontation by externalizing it, excuse making, uh, blame shifting, our problems. Oh, it's the banking hassles, it's the Brexit uncertainties, it's the immigration issues. There's very little humble evaluation of our own hearts. Just like the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, we end up trusting in a very weak and insufficient scaffold, a poor heritage built on pretty much nothing. But we're so keen on man-made structures, aren't we? Is that your way of framing your life? Do you escape repentance by leaning on false securities? Is that your way? Uh, Perhaps the faith of others, your husband or your wife, do you hang on to that as your hope? Or perhaps your good works, Uh, maybe your personal achievements, maybe that's what does it for you. Or perhaps you're hard on yourself and it's your adherence to self-imposed rules. Been playing chess with my wife uh, recently and um, I'm great, she's not. And uh, I've really enjoyed getting her in a corner and uh, before she knows it, she's got nowhere to move, nowhere to go, nowhere to go. Man, it brings something out. (laughs) Evaluation looks like this. It starts with acknowledging our weakness. Oh no, it's checkmate. The sinful proclivities, the recognising the just judgement of God in your life. None of us have got it all together, have we? None of us. We all fall short. Have you come to that conclusion yet? Uh, The reformer Luther, he once said something like this, you can't have God as your friend Unless you first have him as your enemy. Meaning, knowing the appropriately fearful thing about the judgment of God should precede the wonderful appreciation of the richness of the grace of God in your life. That's what repentance brings. The grace of God is rich. It means something, it's tangible, it's long-lasting, it's free. How do we get there? There's a solution. Praise God. And it's found in this one who will baptize with spirit and with fire. Fire? This matter of fire is important in this passage. Let's read it again. I baptize you with water. That's what John said. That's what I baptize you with water, but he, the one that's coming, the one that's mightier than I, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. That's what John said. Everything about this God is fire. Uh, When Adam and Eve were uh, banished uh, from Eden, the thing that stopped them from getting back in was this sword of fire. Read that for yourselves. Moses, his first encounter with the living God was a burning bush, this fire. Uh, and then the fiery pillar that led the nation of Israel. Uh, in Hebrews, it talks about God being like a consuming fire, which all kind of sounds pretty terrifying, doesn't it? And John says it. He says, Jesus is going to baptize you with fire. Who wants that? Sounds pretty risky to me. Sounds nerve-wracking. But in the New Testament, this seems to be a good thing. It's a reference to people being consumed with a passion, being joined to the living God, being joined to Christ through repentance and faith that go hand in hand being filled with His Spirit? Have you been filled with the Spirit? Have you been baptized in His Holy Spirit? Have you been baptized in water? Let me bring those as challenges to you. Our relationship to this fearful God of the fire has somehow shifted at the coming of Jesus, the Messiah. Something has happened whereby we've been made ready for it, uh, ready to engage with it. Remember how the disciples in the, in the upper room after uh, Jesus had been resurrected, he appeared uh, to his disciples and then uh, he said, I'm off now, I need to go to be with my father, but don't worry, I'm going to send the helper. And the disciples in the upper room were fearful, thinking, what? What's going to happen next? It's exciting because we read that the Holy Spirit came like a rushing wind and tongues of fire Rested upon them. What of this consuming fire? Think of a forest fire. Think about the nature of a forest fire that sweeps a region, burning everything in its path. Do you know that it's said that the safest place to be in the kind of storm of a forest fire is where the fire has been? Safety is in that place of incineration where it's all been consumed. The way we receive this safety for ourselves is by recognizing that Jesus has been through the fire for us. Did you know that? This passage speaks... Uh, scarily about chaff being burnt by unquenchable fire. Well, Jesus on the cross became chaff for us. He took our place. He was dried out and he was burnt out by the wrath of God on our behalf. This is good news today. He's taken what we deserved, this consuming fire, that we might not experience it. So we've looked at this confrontation of John's that we're seeing and evaluating. We've uh, brought it to our hearts, and we've seen that this uh, solution that's in front of us is by, by knowing this Jesus, by turning to this God, by allowing uh, repentance and evaluation of our own lives to, to result in faith, trusting Not in ourselves, but in the one who has been and done it for us, who has been to the cross, who has died the death that we deserved and has risen again to new life. And when you become a Christian, you're joined to Christ. And so as he rises, you rise. New life becomes your new life. But the good news is that he has taken what we deserved. So how are we to respond We take these ancient words that we're reading and we apply them to ourselves right now. We can do that today. You see, the the God that we are embraced by in Christ is a God of wrath. Yes, he is a God of love expressed through Christ, but he's just and he's holy. He does the right thing. That is the real God. Is that news to you today? Has God just been a fluffy concept for you, change your thinking. You need to know today that the real solution is found in Christ, in Jesus, this Messiah, being joined to him. He's the true vine, the fruitful vine that will not see the axe. This vine that we are joined to in repentance and faith Saving faith will not see the axe. Are we abiding in this fruitful vine? Can you say of yourself, that's right, I'm abiding, I'm enjoying this life that's not mine, but it's been given to me that I'm now living in? Can you say that for yourself? If your answer is, I'm not sure, or no, then understand this. The Bible says in Acts 17, he is actually not far from each one of us that's such good news the context of that was the apostle paul uh, in athens uh, just uh, speaking to this this culture that had rejected the idea of god and yet had set up gods for themselves actually this this uh this god that paul was able to communicate he was able to say he's not far have you ever felt that god's far from you let me just help you to understand that he is so close to you, even today. Reach out to him. Cling to Christ as your only hope. In Matthew 4, interestingly, as Jesus starts his ministry, he picks up the same message as John. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. But something very important for us to understand here because John's understanding of the timing, uh, of the judgment to come, was all wrong in many ways. He was figuring that this Jesus would come and uh, overthrow the Romans and uh, he would uh, crush the religious leaders and, and uh, he, would, he would be the saviour in, in weeks. He even sends word to to jesus from prison when when john the baptist is incarcerated he he sends a message he says can you just ask jesus are you actually the one that i spoke of because he's thinking why why is there such a delay in this judgment what's this mercy all about this healing and loving the sick and 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 visiting the despised for lunch what's going on there the spiritually poor why are you engaging with them He'd seen the threat of judgment so differently. He'd seen it as quick and final and certain. Well, the answer is yes, it's coming. But the way in which Jesus mercifully outworks this future reality is not what John the Baptist had expected at all. Not at all. Do you know that? This side of the cross, uh, we can see that the time between now and the second coming of Jesus is the mercy of God to us. It is. It's the mercy of God to us. None of us know when he's coming, when he's going to return for his own, but he's coming and judgment is coming too. It's at that point, we don't know when, is when the axe will really cut down the unfruitful and do away with the chaff in the fire. So John, he got his expectations of timing wrong, but he was right about one thing. Judgment is real, but it's suspended for now. Praise God, we currently live in an era of grace. Isn't that good news today? That should be very good news to you right now in your hearts. Let me repeat the words of Psalm 95 and Hebrews 3. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, please. Scripture also says that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, John, but he is patient towards you. Do you know how patient he is with you? I've known the patience of God in my life. Have you known him in your life, being patient, patient with your resistance, uh, your rebellion, uh, your desire to write your own story? Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Is that your response this morning? Is that your response uh, to when we come and take bread and wine, it's our opportunity to to come to the tables uh, with repentance, having rightly evaluated our hearts and clung to Christ the solution. John, this wild-eyed man, his words are as real today as they were for his listeners because the human plight is real. And because of that, we're more grateful for the grace of God in Christ. Are you grateful this morning? Let me invite you to cling to Jesus. It's the only safe place where the fire has been. Be joined to him. Let me pray. Lord, I want to thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for your kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Thank you for the reality of what's coming and this time in which we uh, may now uh, respond in our hearts. And I, I pray for, for everyone uh, watching or listening today that our uh, judgment of ourselves would be sober, and our clinging to Christ uh, would be real and heartfelt.